It was almost 8 p.m. Kwan Yi drove furiously through the long, mindering road. His mother was next to him. There was a long silence. Neither spoke a word, but loads were spoken about in their minds. They didn't need to speak to tell each other things. Their heavy hearts showed the way into each other's intimate spaces. Both were intent on seeing their beloved one. It was 8.26pm when they arrived outside the main gate of the huge defense agency complex in Changi East. Two soldiers were at the checkpoint. One approached the car. They were not allowed to enter the complex. Neither were they allowed to see the elder Wang. They couldn't speak to him through an intercom. Even their request to leave a note for him was turned down. Dejected, they left for home. It was a solemn mood in the car. Both said nary a word. As Kwan Hee drove on, the car's headlights pushed back the darkness of the night in front of him. But no sooner the darkness swallowed what's left of the light behind the car. It was the same with their hearts. At Jalan Yunus, a thoroughfare, bright spotlights flooded a section of the road, dazzling Kwan Hee's eyes. It was a roadblock. There were soldiers on both sides of the road. An armored personnel carrier was parked on the road shoulder. Sitting atop the carrier, with both hands on a machine gun, was a soldier. A soldier on the ground shone a light into the car, waving his arm to signal Kwan Hee to stop the car. He obliged immediately. He hadn't realized it, but the curfew was in effect. These soldiers were conscripts, barely 19 years old. After giving a verbal warning, the soldier waved him on. There were hardly any vehicles on the road. Most people obeyed the curfew order. Locals had been conditioned through the years to be reticent. They needed no prodding to toe the line. They were unlike Hong Kongers who challenged any order they deemed unfair. Perhaps. That was why Hong Kong thrived against the odds. Their people were resilient. The locals here were lethargic. To use a euphemism, they were untested. They had yet to find good reasons to protest. Life was just too good to them, thanks to the government. It had been a long day. Kwan Hee was dead tired. He plunged himself on the bed and fell into dreamland. His mother was awake throughout the night. Dad and mom were very close. She couldn't sleep knowing he wasn't safe. Army seizes power, declares curfew. This was what greeted Kwan Hee as he sat down for breakfast. He scanned the front page of the Singapore Tribune, then flipped the front few pages and digested the content. Prime Minister Cham had died of a heart attack. The government ministers were said to be incompetent and corrupt. Hence, they were being detained. The president was under house arrest, pending investigation of his role in colluding with corrupt ministers. Public gatherings were banned. Kwan Hee, it's just a pack of nonsense. For sure, mum, 
Our government ministers have always been whiter than white. I hope they're all right. I hope their families are safe. Mom, Dad's coming back soon. Don't worry. Yes, I hope so. I've always thought his job with the defense agency involved some risk. But never in my imagination did I expect it to turn out this way. I'm not going to class today, Mom. I will keep you company. Huan He, I thought we should try to see your father. Afterwards. That's my thought exactly, Mom. WhatsApp. Meet at usual place at 11 a.m. Texted Lina. K. Texted Kwan Yi. Sure. Texted Tim. He was business as usual at the shops in Haugang Mall. People were streaming in. McDonald's restaurant was humming with activity, though it was not lunchtime yet. People were chattering away. They were trying to make sense of the happenings the day before. Like them, Kwan Yi and company, huddling in one corner, tried to dissect the reports on news websites. Tim unfolded the iPad and bent the screen so that everyone could read the print on the screen. What does the New York Daily say? asked Lina. Just a short paragraph under the heading, Army Takes Power in Singapore, said Kwan Yi. See this? The China Telegraph says, Singapore wakes up to a coup, said Tim. All have neutral comments. None has taken a stand in this, said Kwan Yi. They are simply adopting a wait-and-see attitude, said Tim. What about Malaysia? asked Lina. Let's see. PM Wahab urges calm in Singapore, said Tim. Our neighbours appear to be neutral too, said Kwan Yi. Look, the Indonesians are asking for restraint, said Tim. The internet forums are abuzz with adverse comments on the takeover. I can't see a single in support of it, said Kwan Yi. Any big wigs commented, asked Lina. Nope, said Tim. Someone has set up an online petition, step down Colonel T, said Kwan Yi, and it's garnered 37,118 votes as of now. Here's another website. The contributors are calling for the police to step in and stop Colonel T, said Tim. Ha ha ha, that's rather lame. Step down Colonel T has hit 41,022 votes, said Kwan Hee. That's amazing, quipped Lina. See this link? Click on it, Tim. Okay. It's a call to stage a mass protest at Hong Lim Park, said Tim. Yes, says here to meet at 9 a.m. 24th May 2030. That's tomorrow, said Lina. Strange, said Tim. What? Said Kwan Yee and Lina in unison. We are browsing the internet now, right? Said Tim. So? Said Lina. So? That means the cool perpetrators have not shut down the internet, said Tim. Oh yeah, huh? Said Lina. Maybe? Maybe they just plain forgot, volunteered Kwan Yee. Not so, I think, said Tim. It must be a tactical move, sly old man. 
Please make sense of your words, pleaded Lina. I know what you mean, Tim, said Kwan Yi. The old chap most probably knows that he can't shut down the internet without shutting down communication, said Kwan Yi. Huh? said Lina. Singapore needs to keep businesses running. Businesses need communication networks for their supply chains, etc., said Kwan Yi. And if you shut down the internet, that means Singapore goes out of business, said Tim, which means the old man has his hands tied. Hooray for Singapore, said Lina. Hold your horses, Lina, said Tim. Don't get so excited, for goodness sake. Why? asked Lina. Because, because, said Tim. Here, Kwan Yi, you tell her. I really don't know, said Kwan Yi. Sooner or later, he's going to do something about the internet. What with all these negative comments and calls for, pro for protests. Yeah, it's just a matter of time, Lina, said Tim. Yeah, and then we'll become another North Korea, said Kwan Yi. Oh, really? said Lina. Yeah, really, Lina, said Kwan Yi. Kwan Yi, I... I think that's stretching the truth a little, said Tim. But it's a possibility, quipped Kwan Yi. Lina, just being curious, said Tim. But why? Why do you like being with us? Because you're both very clever, blurted Lina. And you are stupid, said Tim. Ow, you are being horrid, said Lina. Kwan Yi? Knock it off, Tim. Knock it off, said Kwan Yi. She's going to cry. She's really going to cry. Sorry, Lina, said Tim. Just drive, just jiving, Lina. You better not do it again, said Lina. Her eyes were tearing. She was sniffing. Or else, I'll complain to my mother about you. Guys, guys, let's get serious, said Kwan Hee. Now's not the time to fool around. So guys, are we or are we not joining the protest? Asked Tim. Let's go for it. All three sit in unison. I've got to go now. Got to visit my dad, you know, said Kwan Hee. Can I tag along? Asked Lina. Yeah, can we? Said Tim. Sure. I don't think my mother would mind, said Kwan Hee. In fact, I think she'll welcome the company. Let's make a move, said Tim. The wind blew in noisy gusts across them, disheveling their hair as they walked towards Jialang Nuang, Haogang, whose name is Hokkien for back of the river, was known for strong winds blowing across this sleepy town. But for the country, strong winds were heralding change. The drive to Changi East was interrupted by several stops. There were checkpoints along the way on the main roads of the island, with conscripted soldiers manning them. When they reached the start of Changi Road, they had to turn back. The whole stretch of road leading to Changi East was now off limits to everyone, except military personnel.
It was a second trip in vain for the Wangs, and despondency fed their growing unease. WhatsApp. Location of protest has changed, texted Lina. Why? texted Kwan Yi. Because army has sealed off speaker's corner, texted Lina. Where now? texted Kwan Yi. Orchard Road Junction, where meets Scotts Road, texted Lina. K, texted Kwan Yi. Tim, texted Kwan Yi again. Think he's bathing or something. No response. We'll try again, texted Lina. Okay, texted Kwan Hee. Meet you at MRT station. 10 a.m., texted Lina. K, texted Kwan Hee. When the threesome arrived at Orchard Road MRT station, it was already flowing with people. They elbowed their way up to the stairs onto the pavement outside Wismer A Trail. People were everywhere. The crowd spilled over onto the walkway outside. There had to be at least 10,000 of them on this part of Orchard Road. The young, middle-aged and elderly. It was noisy with portable loudspeakers blaring away in the street. Some 20-somethings were using loud hailers, while some others were holding up cloth banners scribbled with slogans. The trio could not hear themselves above the cacophony of sounds. There were policemen in the street, on the sidewalks, everywhere, but they did nothing to stop the protesters who were out in full force today. Some protesters had formed a train and were sneaking around the junction, then down towards Lucky Plaza. This group wore yellow headbands fashioned out of cloth. The atmosphere was chaotic, but amidst disorder, there was some semblance of order. Most protesters had their sights trained on a figure near the bus stop outside Tank Plaza. He was surrounded by some 20-somethings bearing roll-up banners and placards. From where the three were standing, on top of the escalator outside Wisma Atria, they could see as far as the Paragon building. More people were pouring into the streets from the MRT station. There was just no end to the human traffic. Indeed, it was a sea of people. At last, the figure near the bus stop spoke. His voice thundered through the loudspeakers. He spoke against the army takeover in the country. He asked the audience to stand up for their rights. He urged all present to join him in putting down the coup. Suddenly, there was the rumbling of heavy vehicles in the distance. Then, the tops of armoured personnel carriers could be seen emerging from Scott's Road at the junction. The vehicles loomed into view. There were soldiers manning machine guns atop the vehicles. Soldiers were amassing near these vehicles. There were at least six armoured personnel carriers and scores upon scores of soldiers bearing rifles. Some shouts were heard coming from the vehicles. Some soldiers were holding video cameras. They were filming the protesters and everyone else. The protesters were getting restless. Some leaders were cajoling them to march towards the armoured personnel carriers. The crowd was getting agitated. A soldier 
probably a senior army officer. He was wearing a pig cap whilst the others were in helmets. Screamed through the loud hailer. His voice echoed through the street. He was telling everyone to disperse, but nobody was paying heed to him. They were chanting slogans, egged on by the protest leaders. The chanting rose in intensity. The protesters locked their arms with one another. Row after row of protesters moved slowly towards the armored personnel carriers. The trio were undecided. Should they join those in the street? Or should they remain perched on the race walkway? They didn't have a choice. Waves of people behind them pushed them step by step, inch by inch, down the stairs into the street below. There was hardly any room to move. But there was no way they could fall. The whole street was full of people, packed like sardines in a humongous can. Though tired and weary, the protesters refused to bulge from the junction. The army did not use water cannons on them. Probably, it had failed to convince the police, who had such equipment, to bring them along. Even the policemen seen here and there did nothing beyond keeping a watch on the crowd. Perhaps they were under orders to remain neutral. Then a loud whistle rang out across the road. A long line of soldiers, all standing abreast of one another, raised their rifles and pointed them skywards. At the second whistle, they fired a volley of shots. Were these live rounds? No one in the crowd knew, but it worked wonders. The crowd stepped away from the soldiers. They were still in lock arms, but it was clear all were frightened. Everyone wanted to protest, but when it came to the crunch, their life was more important than the idea of freedom. Freedom from tyranny was a worthwhile pursuit, but not the cost of losing their lives. Only the two only the group of 20-somethings, the ones with their leader near the bus stop, were steadfast in confronting the armed soldiers. Were they mad? Was freedom from control of the soldiers that important? After all, life was still the same, almost. The MRT trains were running, people held on to their jobs, and there was ample food for everyone. Soldiers moved towards the 20-something group. They forcefully moved these protesters away from the, the others. But it was then that someone fired a shot into the crowd. Or oh, it seemed so. Pandemonium set in. People ran helter-skelter in all directions. There was chaos in the street. Everyone was running for shelter. Oblivious to the aim of the protest. Some people were falling. Some others were stepping onto them. Nobody cared. Nobody took heed. Lina, Lina, shouted Konhi. Run, follow me. Here, this way, quickly, said Tim. I'm trying to run as fast as I can, said Lina. Oops, I just stepped on something. Somebody, said Lina. Here, Lina, let me hold your hand, said Konhi. Ah, cried Lina. My arm is painful. See the opening in front, Tim, said Kwan Yeah, said Tim. Let's head that way, said Kwan Oh no, 
The soldiers are in front. Turn back, Tim, screamed Quan He. I can't. There are too many people here, cried Tim. It's too late. They've got me, Quan He, said Tim. Run, run. Lina, keep up with me, said Quan He. I'm trying, I'm trying, said Lina. Gosh, we have run into a dead end, said Quan He. Alamak, said Lina. Here, let me leave you up, said Quan He. Step onto my shoulder. Grab the pole up there. What about you, Quan He? said Lina. Stop talking and get moving, said Quan He. On the count of three. One, two, three, up. Now run, Lina, said Quan He. I can't. I can't leave you, said Lina. Go. Don't look behind, Lina, said Quan He. Up. Both Quan He and Tim had been captured, but Lina managed to get away. She cried all the way to the back of Patterson Road. No, the world wasn't coming to an end. It was only Lina's world in tatters. She wanted to go back for Kwan Yi. Alas, she couldn't. It was just too late. Kwan Yi was right. She had to go home now. She was of no help to them. Kwan Yi was ushered into a large bus parked along Scott's Road. There was a score of them lying up against the side of the road. He did not see Tim. There were too many faces around him. He did not recognize any one of them. The soldiers were fresh-faced recruits, NS men. It seemed that they had just finished basic military training, or they could still be undergoing BMT. The buses were packed with protesters, all wore anxious expressions. It seemed they were unaccustomed to being in custody. It wasn't local culture. Locals didn't get hauled into buses. They crammed into buses on their way to work or school, on their own free will, that is. The buses started their journey to an unknown destination. There were three armed soldiers to a bus. It was quiet inside the buses. Everyone was in deep thought, worried about themselves, asking themselves what trouble they had got themselves into. Kwan Hee was different. He was worried about Tim and Lina. Has Lina gotten home safely, he wondered. Half an hour into the journey, Kwan Hee realized the buses were heading to Safti. They were in the far end of Jurong. Safti was only minutes away. It was a familiar route to Kwan Hee for he had spent the first nine months of his national service in Safti. It was a sprawling military installation, probably half the size of Topayo Estate. But there, no, there were no detention facilities in it. He was sure. It wasn't built to house detainees. It was training grounds for recruits and officer cadets. He knew the place like the back of his hand. He could almost find his way around it blindfolded. The buses turned into the main gate at Safti. Then they moved ahead, made a left turn and rumbled towards the non-commissioned officers' training block. Some came to a stop in the parade square of the Mike Company, while others continued along the road towards Kilo Company. In the compound of Mike Company, a soldier shouted at those in the buses to alight. Everyone gathered in the middle of, of, of the parade square, and the buses left after unloading their human cargo. 
there were soldiers seated at some GS tables in front of the square. The detainers were ordered to line up in single file behind each table. They were being processed for detention. Their identity cards were retained, kept in a locked metal box. All their personal belongings, smartphones, wallets, keys, etc. were taken away from them and placed in plastic bags with their names written on them. Then, they were herded into the different dormitories in the premises. There were 20 bunks in the dormitory which held Kwan He. But there were 30 of them. Some would have to sleep on the floor, he thought. The layout of the place was still the same. Kwan He remembered the standby beds he had to endure in this place. He recalled being made to do push-ups for not being for not keeping his belongings tidy. And yes, that bed was where some guy had poured instant glue on his hair while he was sleeping. He had complained to his trainers, but they had dismissed it as a harmless prank. Till today, he did not know who had carried out the plank on him. He didn't think that he was unpopular then, but he could have offended a fellow recruit. When he looked out of a window, there were some soldiers smoking in the corridor opposite. Their rifles were resting against the wooden wall of a room. Typical recruit mentality, Guan Yi thought to himself. He was like them, till he was re reprimanded by an inchate. He remembered the punishment. Two cold nights doing guard duty at Serimbun, a deserted military installation by a river. A jeep unloaded him there and left only to return the next morning. The place was eerily quiet and he had nobody for company. A gunshot rang up in the distance, snapping Kwani out of his thoughts. Fellow detainees in the room leaned against the windows, pressing their faces against them, eager to find out what was happening, but at the same time, fearful of what lay in store for them. Did they shoot somebody? asked a man next to him. Must have tried to escape, said another man. Don't be silly. It's Singapore, for goodness sake, said a third. People don't get shot by soldiers here. It only happens in Thailand or the Philippines. Yeah, you are right, said the first man. We can only guess, said Kwan Yi. We'll know shortly. Maybe some soldier's gun went off accidentally, said the third. You read about it in the newspaper. Remember the Cisco guard at the checkpoint, playing with his revolver? Here comes a soldier. He's in a hurry, said the first. Look, the soldiers are gathering outside that room, said the first. I can't hear what they are saying, said the second man. They look disoriented, said the third. Yeah, something bad must have happened, said Kwan Yi. Someone must have gotten shot. Kwan Yi looked at the other guys around him. A while ago, they were nonchalant. Now fear showed in their faces and their tremulous voices. Yet, he wasn't fearful. He was a demon in his belief that no Singaporean would ever shoot another Singaporean in cold blood. Not in his world anyway. Alas, he had subscribed to the wrong doctrine. He was part of that group of Singaporeans who had been lulled by many good years of government into thinking that evil would not find its way into government. Not in Singapore anyway. 
He had, he had plain forgotten about the three deadly sins of man, greed, lust, and power. He wasn't a social creature, or else he would have made conversation with them to find out more about their background. Where are the student leaders? Kwan Yin wondered. Have they been captured? Have they been detained in Safti? His thoughts drifted back to his family. He was sure his mother was worried sick. First, his father, now he. She doesn't know I'm here. How do I tell her? Will they let me call home? Has Lina told her what happened? These were things that went through his mind. Dinner time, dinner time, shouted a soldier as he walked past the dormitory. He and another soldier shoved takeaways in styrofoam boxes through the window. His occupants grabbed these and passed them around. The fragrant sesame oil smell told everyone what was inside. Chicken rice, Singapore's number one hawker food. Where's the water? How do we get water here? One of them asked the soldier. Right behind, coming, came the reply. Soon, a soldier wheeling cartons of mineral water came into view. With food and water in hand, the room's occupants sat down to dinner making small conversation with one another as they ate. Army cooks went the way of the dodo in the 1990s. That's when the armed forces realized that Singaporeans weren't producing enough children to feed its national service. Gone too were the GD men, general duty soldiers who sprayed insecticide to keep the mosquitoes away and the drivers. It was now either DIY or farm out to contractors. A soldier came to the window to collect the used food boxes. What was the commotion about? asked a man. What commotion? said the soldier. You know, the shooting, said the man. Oh, that, said the soldier. He looked around him. An officer got shot. Protester shot him, said another man. No, no, a major shot him, said the soldier. Why? But before the second man could finish his sentence, the soldier had already left the window. This was indeed news to the detainees. At once, the room woke up to an outpouring of views. Questions flew and theories were proffered. Everyone wanted to share. None remembered their fear. It can be the officer refused to carry out an order, thought Kwan Yi. But what is so serious about this defiance that warrants a shooting? Guard duty as punishment, that is possible, certainly not a firing squad. Kwani roused from sleep. He opened his eyes. It was dark outside. He couldn't tell the time. His iPhone was not with him. The rumbling of heavy vehicles from behind the dormitory faded away into the distance. He stretched his arm and sat against the wall. He wasn't used to the makeshift bed here. At home, the mattress was at least 30 cm thick. Here, bed was a blanket spread across the floor. And he was sitting between two blanks. He was too slow. Others had laid claim to all available bunks in the room. He was a reticent chap, always the last to queue for a free goodie bag or go up the bus. Serve him right. He deserved to sleep on the floor. In this world, it was first come, first serve. 
but if you call him a born loser, he would deny it vehemently. He would say he was merely taking his time, that there wasn't any need to hurry for such things. He was Kwani's second day in detention. He was getting restless. There were so many questions in his mind. As the minutes ticked by, more questions sprang up. So many questions, not a single answer in sight, he lamented. Promptly, after a bare-bones breakfast, the detainees were marched to a large hall five blocks away. There, they assembled with detainees from the other blocks. There has to be at least a hundred in the hall. There is no sign of team in the bobbing heads, Connie thought. The detainees were subjected to some brainwashing speech. A major, close-cropped hair, brawny and towering over the stage, delivered an impassioned oratory about towing the line, cooperating with the army. Major David Fu, that's what he has said his name was, then flushed a sardonic grin. The only part of his speech that all or most of the detainees paid attention to was he inviting them to enjoy the surroundings for the next few days. He said he was giving them plenty of time to think about their actions the previous day. He also dispatched a warning that if they persisted in their errant ways, they would not get to see the light of day for months, perhaps years. That parting shot dug into the hearts of the detainees. They set up at once, taking in the seriousness of the message. The Major's facial expression showed he means no words. Is he the Major who shot the officer yesterday? Thought Kwan He. He could hazard a guess. His guess would turn out right. 